Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio. With me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer, and our guest this evening, for we do record in the evenings, regardless of what the time zone is in your part of the world, uh, is Leslie Ann Moore, science fiction writer and author of the Griffin's Daughter Trilogy and A Tangle of Fates, the first book in the Vox Machina Trilogy. Ms. Moore is also the Vice President of the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society. Leslie, welcome to the Event Horizon. Well, thank you for, for having me. And with me is Susan Fox, uh, who has, this time she she has it on me. Uh, because I'm the one she's who done all, the She's book. the one who's done all the reading for, yeah. the, for the episode. And I was happy to read it. Uh, it may be a little behind my age group, but what a, what a rollicking read. I had such a good time with that. Well, I'm very glad. I'm, I'm, did you uh, did I did you read the young adult version or the um, or the fully leaded version? Oh, I think it was the young adult version. Uh, okay, the love scenes were were tasteful. Soft focus. Okay. Soft focus, <laughs> but you know we're a family station, so yes, mm-hmm. yes. But you know, well, that's all. That's all right because uh, you know we're not reading the novel on the air. Uh, so even if it is a little... Woohoo, hot blonde elves! <laughs> Elf lust! <laughs> you know, like that, like that, uh, uh, the opening page in uh, Board of the Rings? Yeah. With oh, the, with the uh, elf maiden and the... Yeah. That appears nowhere in the that actual book. That appears nowhere in the book. Yeah. It's, it's great. I love that book. I read that book, like, in high school, and oh. I just... <laughs> It was sort of an illicit read, and I just, I loved it. The ring inscription, Grundig Blaupunkt Luger Frug, Watusi Snarf Wazoo, Nixon Dirksen Nasahist Ribozo Boogaloo. I can't believe yes, you I memorized it to that. Memory. Actually committed that to memory. That, that's astounding. I don't think I've known anybody who can who can recite that from memory. That's just... <laughs> You you are uh, the, you're like the the king of the geeks. Now the funny thing is, mm-hmm. I cannot actually recite the original ring inscription. Oh, okay. But um, Susan can. Is it one no. one ring one ring to rule, oh, the, rule them all? One ring one to, ring to bind them. them. Rings bind them. One, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. them. Yes. But but, it, but I, I haven't got it it's in other. Well, no, it that was the those were the last four. Right, that's the last. It starts the, with three rings for the elven kings under the sky, that's et, cetera, right. et, cetera, et cetera. Are you recording all of this? Oh, yeah. So no, we're we're on the air. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we will Whoops. be on the air. This is for later broadcasts. Okay. <laughs> I but love it. This is a convention in your pocket, so wow. people people goofing and having a good time—that's part of it. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's. Uh, I've heard a lot of interview shows, and they're all prepared questions and a bunch of stuffed shirts, frankly. And uh, I think this format is a lot more fun. It lets us lets us move in any direction we want to go. But meanwhile, back at you, 
back at yeah. the works of Leslie and more. Uh, yeah. Griffin's Daughter is the first of the Griffin trilogy. Griffin's Daughter, yes. The second book is Griffin's Shadow, and the third book is Griffin's Destiny. And all three books are available on Amazon, Smashwords, BarnesNoble.com, and Kobo. And they are available in the adult version and the young adult version. The young adult version is about 98% the same as the adult version. Um, it's just a little bit toned down. There, there are certain rules that when you're, when you're writing young adult fiction, there's like three, three things you, that you can have, but you can't have two out of the three. So you can have sex, drug use, and profanity. You can have two out of those three. So, um, so I just kind of, I took out a lot of the profanity and sort of soft pedal the sex, but it's the same story. It's like 98% the same. So uh, why did you, why did you feel compelled to, uh, uh, make, uh, if I, if I may, a bodlerized version for the teen audience or a spicier version, or a spicier for the version. why, why yeah, that's unusual. Of the book? That's an unusual well, approach. That, that's a great question. Um, the originally there was no young adult version. It was just the you know it was just Griffin's daughter, the book, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it happened when with my second publisher I had the original publisher of Griffin's daughter trilogy um, went out of business yeah. uh, two thirds of the way through the series, leaving me high and dry. There were two books out, and the third book was not published. And so um, I managed to find uh, another publisher rather rapidly um, through social media, uh, just getting on Goodreads and uh, boohooing about how I had been well, left. Well, that, was, that was very fortunate. Like, yeah, I mean, was, that was a stroke of luck. It was. I think it was hard work, probably. It really yeah. was. But, but I, so I got the second publisher, and um, it was through them that they decided – that they wanted to do a young adult version as well. Huh. And so uh-huh. otherwise I wouldn't have uh I I probably wouldn't have bothered. Um but they Well it gives you twice the number of SKUs. Yeah, yeah. They they SKUs. seem to they seem to think that it was a good idea and actually it has turned out to be um a good idea because uh uh, at the moment, um, the young adult version is outselling the the adult version at the moment. That's interesting. Well, yeah. And then when they grow up and they go back and they, they want to read that book, they'll go, ooh, there's an adult version. I wonder yeah. what's in that. Yeah. And you'll sell but, another copy. Yeah. But um, the um, the adult version it was out for for you know several years just or there's mm-hmm. just there's only one version for for several years mm-hmm. and um, and I it, it sold quite well actually um, and then um, yeah then the adult version came out and now it's um it's doing okay if you're hearing some panting by the way that's not us that's the yeah. dog. <laughs> Tegan the Wonder Dog Tegan has to wander Wonder Dog in. decided she wanted to come. Oh, you can hear her collar. Yes, I hear it collar yeah. jingle. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's not. The I don't think she's close enough to the mic to really make a difference. <laughs> well, you know, stop hey, worrying about it. The heavy breathing is the dog. <laughs> heavy breathing. If you guys were like, you know, heavy breathing over the thought of the sex in my book, I who you am know, I? Uh, she's pretty hot. <laughs> Who am I to tell you you can't do that? <laughs> uh, well, I I I want to I want to talk about you know, jabber about the book, but we'll have to do it off mic because there'd be spoilers involved. Well, but who is Jelena? Talk, we don't know yeah, for can, most of the book. You can talk about the book. And just don't throw spoilers out there. That's all. Well, Griffin's daughter ends with a big walloping one, so oh, okay. not gonna do it. Wouldn't be we, prudent. We we can we can talk about some of the broader themes um, ab- about the book. Like I like to um, I like to tell. Well, first of all, the the one of the the main themes in the book. I started writing this book um, right when it was it, during the whole Iraq War thing. Not the first Iraq War, but the second Iraq War. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset about it. 
And so I wanted to write a book that dealt with, with several issues. But one of the issues was how does a small country um, that's weaker militarily, how do they deal with um, all the psychological issues of impending um, invasion by a large rapacious empire? And so, so that's a big theme. You, you'll see it more in book two and book three when you actually the 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 empire part of it actually comes into the story. But but that's that's one of the one of the themes that I was I was wrestling with. The second theme, the big theme was, as you probably noticed, is I wanted to deal with how does a person who is of mixed race or or, or biracial person how do they deal with living as an outcast um, in, in society. and By you know, becoming just, president? <laughs> well, that's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jelena, the, the heroine of, of my story, she she is half human, half elf, and I'm not giving anything away by telling that. No, that's at the um, beginning. And she's very much um, an outcast in this human society. And I, I am a biracial person. Mm-hmm. Um now, I when I grew up, I I don't want to by any means say that I had a ter- hard childhood. Not at all. I had a very nice middle class upbringing with, and my parents sheltered me quite a lot from from a lot of the the stuff that could have been thrown at me. But even so, um, I did get a little bit, not as much as poor Jelena, who was really made to suffer, but. Even so, I had never seen in any all the fantasy that I've read in my life, and I've read a lot of fantasy. I've never seen issues of racism and uh, of that type dealt with in in the fantasy setting, mm-hmm. and and that was a big a big part of of the book, and um, a big part of writing Jelena as a character is getting all of that in there and how how is she coping um with this and what does she do about it and how does she grow as a character and as the as the story progresses of course you will see you know how she does grow as a character some people have to put their money money where their mouth is is being liberal and tolerant and suddenly they're faced with jelena (laughs) yes And, and the reality yes Yes, you know it's one thing to be a an upper class uh, uh, tolerant person in in air quotes, but it's another to have to live with the decision. Exactly, and you know she, Jelena is even though she is by blood nobility, she is treated as a servant. She and and she you know grows up as a servant because of her of her her heritage something that she had no control over that's right so it it's you know i just i had never seen anything anything close to dealing in a realistic fashion um uh those issues in any sort of fantasy novel and so i wanted to you know be the first i don't know if i am the first but I certainly wanted to be one of the. I think first. there's a touch of that with Lessa, who, who, you know, in uh, the Pern books, but not to this extent. Um. Yeah. Maybe. Because uh, she's kind of sidelined and shoved into the, you know, kitchens until the dragon picked her. So there right, we are. Right. Right. But she's not. She's not shoved in that. You know, in the kitchens because of her genetics. You know, because of of. Of um, you know the fact that she's you know half something you know half one That's race true. half another That's race. That's true. So. Just un- just generally unwanted. Yeah, but generally, yeah. Generally. That's a you know whole another set of sexism issues and right. whatnot. Yeah, a lot a lot of sexism in this. Women professionals are all through this book. I have to appreciate yeah. that until you reach the upper levels. And well, the, and the girls even, can't seem to inherit much. Yeah, even well, actually, that's not true. Um, yes, that's another another thing in in all of my writings. Um, first of all, all of my writings are political. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't seem to write anything that that is not political. Doesn't make some sort of political statement. And I also can't write anything that doesn't make 
a statement about women or feminism, mm-hmm. say. And I specifically designed both of these societies, both societies, um, to have women as um, it is. As the societies are much more egalitarian in terms of the sexes. Now they're not egalitarian in terms of class, and that's very different. Yeah. Class is very. These are these are both hierarchical societies, very much based on class. But if you'll notice, um, or when readers um, know, uh, I would like to point this out to the readers, is that that inheritance is not based on gender. It is based on first the firstborn child. Mm-hmm. Well, the Duke's firstborn child would just as soon leave it all to his sister. and Exactly. And if she had been the firstborn child, she would have been the heir. And she'd probably be good at it. She would be good at it. Yes, she would be. She is much more like, um, she's much more like the, her father than is her brother. And um, so, so it's it's very much each society is very much based on on class, a class hierarchy, um, but not based on um, gender um, roles. Although the um, there there are there there are women warriors in both societies, but um, I had to kind of bow to a little bit of reality in that is is. We all know that women can make very fine soldiers because we have a lot of women soldiers um, in our real world. But as a rule, women aren't aren't as strong as men across the board. So there aren't going to be equal numbers of women warriors as male warriors. So I made sure to to not have a an unrealistic number of female warriors on either side. That so kind of that kind of reflects real life, as you say. It, it does. Yeah, it it does. You know, we have. We have lots of, you know, there are a lot of women in the armed forces um, these days. Um, But you're not going to find a whole lot of women in like, you know, the infantry, you know, the 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 grunts, although there are some. There's some, but not while they're pregnant. They're not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's there's physical limits on that. There are physical limits. Yeah. And and I made sure to to make sure that that was written into the um, into the logic um, of the story. So what kind of uh what kind of problems and what kind of opportunities did pushing the the uh pushing the society more into an egalitarian mold uh create for you as a writer? Um do you mean uh, problems um I mean from a, in well, she couldn't rely she couldn't rely on real medieval practices oh, yeah. quite so much. Right. Well, yes. obvi- obviously that but uh I, you know, in in terms of uh, in terms of the story, anytime you take the reader out of their comfort zone, uh, you have to establish some firm uh, grounding and underpinning so that the reader feels at home in the new environment. They seem right. pretty pretty solid. They're they're laid out there. I mean, they're not really hard to understand. Well, i i didn't I didn't go to the extreme of of having it as a like a matriarchal society which which I could have done mm-hmm. um, and, and there, it, I've read books that have been done that way right yes I think um, um, Susie McKee Charnas's books the Motherline series just mm-hmm. was one of the very first books I ever read that featured a, a matriarchal society that that actually seemed to make sense to me but um I don't know if you're familiar with those books, but um, they're really good books. But um, you know, I I wanted to make it so about taking the reader out of the comfort zone. I I think that the a modern reader would find the sex roles, the gender roles, fairly comfortable because they're not that much beyond what we know today. Um, we have in the the human society, we have um, women running the kitchens, which, as we know, in the real our real world, um, women pretty much run most of the kitchens, except maybe the high end, you know, commercial kitchens. But even they still even run those kitchens. So you know, women are in charge of the of the household. Um, there's a, a, a Jelena's 
foster mother is a you know she acted as a midwife for many years and now she's in the laundry the 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 um most of the guards are men um the uh, you know most of the soldiery is men um and and it's the same in the in the elven society we see we see um men doing most of the soldiering with a few women in there yes uh, definitely um but it's it's not you know that much beyond what we see now we see women in positions of power in both societies which is realistic to today we have women in positions of power um and so so i think it so it didn't really create a problem um for me as a writer because um because we already live in a, a much more egalitarian society than we than say like our grandmothers did oh heavens we, yes. we have a long ways to go a long long ways to go but um it's it's not you know it's not like it was back in the the you know the 30s the 40s the 50s i hope that answers the question <laughs> yeah it, it kind of does i mean it's it's a uh, um the the challenge is to take the reader someplace they've never been and to show them a new way of looking at things and and uh, uh, establish new patterns of behavior that they can accept as being the rule of the day or the guiding principles for how the characters interact. Yes. Uh, especially, mm-hmm. especially true in fantasy and science fiction, uh, yeah. more so than other forms of fiction. Yeah. So it, I'm noticing a little rebellion in the matter of uh, religion. The... The, the goddess religion people are the ones with the worst attitude about uh, equality or, or, you know, living with other people. And, and it's the, the monotheistic elves who are actually willing to give Jelena a chance. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> They actually, it's the um, it's the elves that actually have the goddess religion. Um, well, they, the one they, is the uh, one, yeah. Yeah, they they worship they worship the one goddess, um, who is you know the mother of all, uh, and it's the pan yes the pantheistic um, Soldarans that are or the human um, the humans that uh, have a lot more um, a lot more bigotry. By the way. Um, the um, the Elven Society is modeled after um, feudal Japan. Not I got that from the names. Yeah, not the sexism part of it, but just the the um, the design of you know the, their their castles, their the way they dress, their armor, their names um, is is um, very sort of Japanese. And the the Human Society, the Soldaran Empire, is based on on um rome sort of in the late period mm-hmm. you know just before the dark ages mm-hmm. um and uh so they have latinized names um they have a pantheistic uh um religion i wish that i had actually um gone more into the human religion if i was to write this book over again i would actually it would probably be the first book would probably be quite a bit longer um, but I was under um, a bit of a uh, word limit crunch um, because uh, so. it, it was um, uh, sort of well, we we really you know, imposed books, by the publisher or uh yeah, and just sort of the um, not so much that, but just sort of the I guess the common wisdom is that anything over a hundred thousand words is going to be kind of hard to hard to to, sell how to you know yeah people are scared of really big books i don't believe that anymore i think that's bull i don't believe that anymore am i allowed to use profanity on this well bull is okay bull pucky okay Okay. gone back guano okay that's back guano yeah i don't i don't believe that anymore but i would have gone uh, quite a bit more into the human religion um and uh you know given more of the god's names and maybe Mm -hmm. shown some some of the worship um that sort of thing um, like, uh, but weddings, pretty much like frisbeeism. You know, the cult that <laughs> believes that when you're you die, your soul goes up on the roof and you can't get it down. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, so, um, but uh, you know, it, I I got a little bit more into the um, into the elven religion just because of the whole the whole goddess um, thing, which I'm I'm very much interested in. 
and um, and so uh, I just um, I, I and I I'm not sure why I decide why did I decide to make to have them worship a goddess I don't know I think maybe it's just the sort of the feminist in me and I I, I just I don't know but it well, just but you're allowed to do that no, there's sure. also the Japanese uh, sun goddess the, yeah. the emperors are descended from from yeah. the goddess Amaratsu yeah Amara- yes yes I, so I think you've got plenty of of you know Background. I think that's well, and and, and I think it's I think it's fair to say that most of the depictions of of modern elves, and, and by modern I mean Tolkien and and forward, uh, is that uh, elves definitely are more in touch with their feminine side overall. They're more yeah. in touch with nature. They're more in touch with the natural order of things than than is the world of men. Yeah, and so so uh, uh, a goddess worship. Uh, uh, based religion makes all kinds of sense in that in in uh, in that context. Well, I, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> yes, so too. Well, the, the elves are not like Tolkien elves. They're not. They're not quite as different from humans as as in a lot of things. There's a touch of magic and and pointed ears. That's... Other than that, not really that different. And I specifically wanted it to be that way because um, I've always, ever since I read The Lord of the Rings um, back in, well, I first you know read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings back in middle school, mm-hmm. um, I just like fell head over heels in love with elves, but not the, you know, the Santa's elves type, the little, you know, mm-hmm. pixie mm-hmm. type. You know, I loved the, the, the Tolkien's depiction of them as these, stately um very um i guess beautiful sort of stately beings mm-hmm. but at, when i i've read i've read the lord of the rings probably five or six times all the way through in my life and i also own the um the uh, bbc um uh broadcast I, I BBC did I a really her. good radio version of um that's very good 10 or 15 years ago and i've listened to that but um i started noticing it when i was reading tolkien as an adult that I actually didn't really like the elves as much anymore because they seem really cold. They were just really cold, and um, and there just weren't enough women. And well, there I'm, weren't enough women through the whole thing. Yeah, That's why they've yeah. had to, you know, yeah. beef up women's parts that didn't exist, or even yeah, invent ones exactly. that didn't exist for the movies. Well, and they exactly. in this in this new trailer for uh, the Hobbit, the Desolation of Smog. Uh, they uh, they threw in a female elf so that Legolas, who shouldn't have been in the movie in the first place, would have a love interest. Oh boy, really? It's okay. Like what, it's, well, know. he's he is referred to later on as the son of the the king of the wood elves. Well, the king of the wood elves figures in the story of the Hobbit, so so, yeah. so, so he was probably there. He was he was happy, <laughs> but he was not there. named. But. But anyway, to to get back to what I was saying about about to, the Tolkien's elves just being kind of cold and they just seemed really remote. And I wanted I wanted elves that were that were um, very accessible that people could really identify with. You know, I wanted them to be more human. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to have emotions. I wanted them to to you know feel love and laughter and sorrow and pain and fear and and. And you know all of those things and that that humans felt, but with just enough differences, they they do have magic. And but it's not magic like you know Harry Potter style magic. It's it's more of a I imagine their ma- their magic is an ability to manipulate energy and to manipulate matter with their minds, mm-hmm. but not not like you know they'll say um, you know hocus pocus or abracadabra and something just materializes out of thin air you know they can't do that um um but they can create they can draw energy from from the 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 exterior world and they can manipulate it they can speak telepathically um they can heal but um you will find uh and and this isn't this also is not really giving anything away. Um, you'll find that um, later in in book two, and there's a, um, some other characters are introduced. But one of the worries that the elves have is in fact that their magic is fading. Yes, 
and they have to come up with a substitute for magic. And I'll just leave it at that. But um, but uh, you could, if you think about it hard enough, you could probably figure out what they're going to use as a substitute. Mm, yeah. So, but anyway, um, yeah, I I like I like elves that are more like us, except with pointed ears. <laughs> And they live longer too. Well, you know, and and now we're back to your uh, parallel to uh, wars on on modern Earth. The people that we fight against are not all that different from us. They exactly. they look a little different. Exactly. Some don't look all that different at all. Exactly. You've you've hit the you've hit it perfectly on the head. And that's one of the things. I'm so glad that you said that because I want people to get that from the book. Is that that the elves and the humans are really not different. They are essentially the same species because any... as, as like anybody, a mentor breed, evidently. Exactly. As anybody <laughs> who knows anything about biology, that um, uh, two biological entities, if they are of the same... They can only interbreed and produce fertile offspring if they are of the same species. And so, therefore, the differences are superficial. And that's exactly what we face every second of every day here on Earth is war and destruction over superficial differences, mm. um, just over the way we look. And there really is no such thing. The whole idea of race and humans is a myth. There are no such thing as races. That is a, a complete myth. We are all one race. We are all one species, and that's the human race. And everything, all of our exter- external differences are all so superficial as to be meaningless. Except we have made, we humans have made a cultural, uh, cultural, um, what's the word I want? Uh, we have built entire um, societies and it's a, a, entire ways of oppression on superficial differences. And that's one of the, the very important points in my story. Is to show that so it's it's very easy to uh, uh, it's very easy to get lost in the the politics and the the uh, the world construction uh, uh, when you're when you're writing something at this scale, uh, but you also seem to have a very strong sense of where your character is going as a person and how how that character is uh, developing. Uh, how how much time did you spend working out the three book arc uh, or did you did you uh, know generally where points a and b were and and you worked out the rest of it when you got there uh, n- uh no i actually spent um a good six months um outlining the entire story arc before i ever wrote a single word of the of the book itself wow. uh, yeah, I spent about six months. And for uh-huh. listeners, there you go. You cannot just sit down at a typewriter or your computer <laughs> screen and bash out a novel. This <laughs> this does not work. Unless you're Isaac Asimov, yeah. and, and none of you are. And none of you are. If, if you, uh, uh, you want to write a book, the first thing you do is you do what Leslie did. You write an outline and know where you're going. And I, I did a whole, I had a whole like three ring binder of, of my outline. And now to, to, it it wasn't all just the plot. I mean, I also did a lot of world building Mm -hmm. um, during that time too. I had, I had um, files on each character that um, their physical description, um, their likes, dislikes, their hobbies, um, all these different, so that I knew, I knew my characters intimately. Now, a lot of the stuff wouldn't necessarily make it into the book, mm-hmm. but at least I had these dossiers and all the characters. Well, it's all and, backstory. And, you know. and what, what's that? I'm it's sorry? All, it's all backstory. Yeah, it's you, all backstory. It, exactly. it gives you the foundation upon which to build uh, the it, interactions of the characters. It's all backstory. And I also had to... Um, physically build the world that they moved around in. I had to draw a map 
and I had to to figure out the geographical locations of uh, geographical uh, locations in relation to everything, so that when I'm describing a character traveling from one city to another on a certain road, that when I'm describing it in the book, that it actually they're actually moving down that road in the correct direction. Does that make does that make yes. sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Especially if you're going to war over borders, you have to know where the borders are. You have to know where the borders are. I also had to take into account, um, for instance, uh, I didn't really know that much about um, military strategy. Yeah, I bet you do now. And at the end of the in the the Griffin's Destiny, the final book, there is a battle scene. And so, um, and this is for for all those listeners out there who want to write books and and don't know certain things like military strategy. You got to do research. It's so important. You have to do the, your research. So I actually purchased books on military strategy and read them before I ever outlined the battle scene. And um, I took uh, the the battle scene is actually I I. I was reading about a, a battle uh, in I went it was in the ancient world somewhere. I'm not I can't remember exactly what, but um, just reading about these ancient ba- ancient and modern battles helped me to realize that to to do this, you know, I had to take into account time of year. Like when are you going to invade? Like you can't invade a country in the winter when it snows. Mm-hmm. You can't invade in during the rainy season when your army could get bogged down in mud. You have to know. Um, where to put your archers so they don't shoot the, 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 the infantry or the cavalry. You have to know about cavalry. There's just so much. So that's why it took six months to get all of this together, all the research, before I could ever even start writing it. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that really underscores the importance of planning boy oh boy (laughs) yes now having said all that i have a really good friend who's a really good writer his name is mike robinson i'll give him a little plug mike robinson um and uh he's uh he's the kind of guy i i believe that he's more of a seat of your pants kind of guy like he he will kind of start out and just sort of um sort of just kind of like write some sentences to see where it takes him Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if he does, if he's like a 100% seat of your pants writer, but I do know that there are writers who do do that and can make it work. I'm just not one of them. Yeah, well, as, as we mentioned earlier, Ray Bradbury and, and uh, Isaac, Asimov. Isaac Asimov could do that, mm-hmm. but few others can. Yeah, I certainly I, can't. Well, everyone's got a different style. I think most people, most writers are going to do some kind of outline, I, I believe. I mean, then you know, it, apologies to all those writers out there who say, well, I'm a seat of the pants. I just, you know, start writing, see where it takes me, and I always end up with a novel. That's great. I, I admire you for being able to do that. But I've, I've got to just sit and outline, outline, outline. Well, it, you're doing a disservice to the reader if you don't, uh, because yeah. when you... Listening to you describing what you did, uh, world building, learning where the roads were and what was along the roads and making sure that when you traveled, the things that you encounter on the road appeared in the correct order for the direction you were going. Yes. You know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, You might miss it, but believe me, the reader will catch it. Oh, and and I I am one of those readers because I am... The worst pedant you will probably ever <laughs> come across. Uh-huh. I, I have gotten into trouble because I can't help but correct people, and it it really can get it really gets me in trouble. But I just I'm so pedantic about things that um, it's it's um, it's like a matter of pride for me to get things right, to get the details right, because I know there are other people out there just like me. If I don't get that one detail, that's the one detail they're going to pick up on, and I'm going to hear about. And Star I don't Trek want to fans, hear about. you know. <laughs> oh God, yes. 
I don't want to hear about it. There's a whole there's a whole book called The Nitpicker's Guide yes. to Star Trek. I love those books. I have those books and I actually sat down with the books and watched the Star Trek episodes <laughs> and all of those How did I know? And I loved it. <laughs> How did I know? That's great. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, we just uh, um, yeah, when I was uh, uh, when I was uh, watching the original series the first time through, and I, this was well, well, actually, it wasn't the first time through. It was like the second time through when I was finally old enough to understand what I was looking at. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, when I was watching it the second time through, I kept a, a scorecard. Yeah. You know, how many red shirts died in this episode and what were their names? And, <laughs> and I was trying to log them all. Uh-huh. And I think I came up with, uh, uh, they, had, they did 22 episodes. And out of 22 episodes, I, I'm sorry, uh, 70, 70, 79. 79 episodes. Out of 79 episodes, they had something like 23 red shirts die. Wow. That's a lot of red shirts. That is a that's, lot of red shirts. That's a lot of attrition. Well, yes. I would recommend the book uh, Red Shirts by John Scalzi. This, I was just this... going to ask you if you'd read that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't, but Susan. It's it's vastly entertaining. And, Gene, you must read this book. It was, <laughs> it was this year's Hugo uh, Best Novel yeah, winner this, for a reason. Hugo winner. Yes, it and was. There were, and there was some tough competition this year, admittedly. Yeah. But this, uh, he deserved it. <laughs> It's it's on my 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 must read list. I'm not I'm not giving a well, damn thing to, it's away. It's going to be on mine now because I I have to read this. If, if well, Scalzi's local. We need to talk to him. Well, yes, he was you need to read this book first. Yeah, that's true. I probably would be a good idea to. The so, butler did it. Yeah, Rosebud was a sled. <laughs> the butler. <laughs> the butler killed the sled. Yeah, that's wait. it. Wait, what? <laughs> So uh, what are you working on now? What's the next project? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, Gene. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would be. Well, my my new uh, latest book, um, it should be out probably um, March or so, maybe April Mm -hmm. um, of 2014. Uh, My publisher's got to have time to... um, get some pre-publication reviews and what have you but mm-hmm. um it's a it's a science fiction uh it's the first of a trilogy science fiction trilogy um it uh the title of the book is a tangle of fates and uh it is to give the the log line if it were going to be a screenplay it is snow white as revolutionary that explains what I was reading in the in the the quick synopsis. Yes. Okay. I, yes, I've been I've always been interested in fairy tales, mm-hmm. and particularly fairy tales where the female where where I could flip the female role into from passive to the hero. I like that. And, in the Snow White story, of course, we all know that Snow White is the you know the poster girl for the passive pawn. Oh, she, very much so. I, very I, much so. That's a good observation. I mean, yes. And although it seems like an obvious one, it wasn't obvious to me until you until you just said it just now. Oh, she okay. Is the poster girl for the her she, Sleeping she's Beauty. Sort of the victim. Just she, the whole thing. She, she is. Yes. Everything happens around her. Everything She's the catalyst happens, for everything. Everything that happens. happens to her. She does not do anything except she cooks and cleans for seven men. I mean, come on. <sighs> She's supposed to be a princess, right? And what does she mm-hmm. do? She ends up in the woods cooking She's and cleaning. shacking up with seven She's grubby little guys. Cooking and cleaning <laughs> for seven men. And then she is she falls under a, a, a she gets poisoned and then she has to lay around and wait for some guy to come along and save her. And then what happens? She goes off and lives happily ever after in the castle. Well, and- no, 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 no. <laughs> I I wanted to take that story and turn it on its head and make the Snow White character 
she becomes the catalyst for change. She becomes the revolutionary that overturns a, an oppressive dictatorship, along with the help of her allies. Uh, and uh, so it's got, it, it's got, as I said before, um, it's got steampunk elements to it. Um, I guess you could you could probably market it. It could probably be marketed as a steampunk novel. The the um, the story takes place, and I won't I won't give away a lot. But the story takes place on a colony world. Um, they were it was colonized by refugees from a dying Earth, but not the Earth as we know it, an alter, alternate Earth. Mm-hmm. And they colonize this planet. They name it um, New Tierra because. The Earth that they came from, they came from a, a North America that speaks not English, not Spanish, but Spanglish. Okay. Ah, okay. So these people are descendants from colonists whose language was Spanglish. So they have a, there's a lot of Spanish words that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they curse in Spanish. Their names are, Sp- are, are very um, Latin um, not mm-hmm. like Latin, like Roman, but Latinized. Latinism, Latino. As in Latino, yes. Um, and so, um, so this this planet has been colonized by this this refugees from a from a dying Earth. Uh, they build up a, a a highly advanced society, but then they go to war, and they just they blow they basically blow up the colony world. And knock the technology back down to a pre-industrial level. So they basically uh, nuked themselves back to the Stone Age. Not to the well, stone, at least to the to the, st- the Iron Age, the, the gasoline yeah. age, from the yeah. look of it. So it takes them about at the time the story takes place. It's been um, a, a, about a little over four hundred years since the Great War. Mm-hmm. They have managed to build themselves back up to an early to a late nineteenth, early twentieth century technology. So they have steam power. There's a there's some fossil fuels, but it's in short supply. There's some you know low riders, you know. <laughs> they, yeah, some some low like riders. Spinning hubcaps. Spinning, yeah, a little bit. So they have they have certain they've got oh, certain um you know they've got um they've got telegraph they've got telephone uh-huh. they've got they don't have television. Um, anything that you could find in late 19th, early 20th century, they basically got. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the level of technology the story takes place. Um, and so you have this, 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 this girl, this young woman who is living, her, her stepmother is the oppressive ruler of this, this city. Hey, hey, hey! Speaking, of, you know, why is the stepmother always the bad guy? I'm, as an as as an aspiring some stepmother, of that, <laughs> some, some, some fairness well, there. Follow the myth to some. To I have some to degree. follow the myth to some degree. Some it was the, no, all right. It was the evil stepmother. You know, the evil queen. <laughs> she's the evil. The evil um, stepmother. She's the um, she's the alcalde, which is mayor in, in Spanish. She's the alcalde of this city. And we know that in Los Angeles, don't we? Uh, yes, and um, and so uh, so the, there's the, the the main character, the heroine of the story. Her, her name is Deanna, and um, she's the Snow White figure. But you know, she it follows the story, the the myth up to a certain point, up until you know the the, the whole huntsman takes Snow White into the woods to kill her, um, and then it starts to depart rapidly from there. And uh, as the as the story arc unfolds, I, I the, the first book is finished. The second book, I'm, I'm about I think I I've, I've got all the entire plot um, pretty much. Um, it's all plotted out for the mm-hmm. three books. Uh, but as the story uh, progresses, she will of course eventually become the heroine. She will overturn the oppressive society. Oh, and did I mention that there are killer robots in this book, too? Yay, killer robots! There are killer robots! Yes. I won't tell you how they come into the story, but there are some really cool steam-powered killer robots, and there's also a really cool high-tech killer robot. So, for all you robot fans, there will be robots. Yay! (laughs) All right. So um yeah it's it's uh I I I think that um 
I think it will appeal to uh, well. There, there's the, the heroine once again, the main character once again is a woman. Uh, my publisher seems to think that it'll appeal it'll appeal more to women than to men, but I disagree because I have some really strong male characters in the story too. Well, you know, it uh, depends on it depends on how broad and expansive your your yeah. your vistas are. Really, yeah. Uh, I think if if uh, if your the viewpoint you write from is more singular to your your heroine uh, and not as much on the broad sweeping effects and everything that she she's she's uh, causing to happen in her environment uh, I mean if you make it a if you make it a personal emotional story I think it's going to appeal more to women if you if you make it more of an adventure story it's going to you know it's going to naturally appeal more to men who are just generally less, I yeah. don't know, a bit less sensitive and a bit more rambunctious on the yeah. whole. I, I think there's enough. Um, there's there's quite a lot of it. It's it works both ways. It's a it's a deeply emotional story on a lot of levels, but there is a lot of adventure um, in it as well. There there are um, you know there's at least there's at least four um, male main characters. I I tell it through multi POV. It's not just the one. Wow, well, really? Because you, from this uh, synopsis, you, you don't even see any names of men, male characters. No, you, you don't. And you, see, you see the the yeah. um, the stepmother. You see the right. Deanna. You you know you see right. the um, the chieftain, the sh- shaman woman. You don't see anything about men. And that is purely that my my publisher wanted to. Um, concentrate with the synopsis because synopsis this is going to probably have to go on the back of the book and um no, they always read the backs of books too they so. did they, they but they wanted to concentrate on the a plot line okay mm-hmm. so i think it's a marketing strategy on their part i think they really are going for the the female audience okay um but uh, you know uh, the Griffin's Griffin's daughter series, I thought was going to be mostly women as well. But I have found just from the emails that I've gotten from talking to people at cons and what have you, that I think probably um, half my readership has probably been men. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah, I would just just from uh, just from reading your liner notes, I would have estimated that much. Yeah. And that that kind of surprised me, I, because it is so romantic. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I make no bones about it; it is romantic. Uh, and it, a lot of men are kind of turned off. Oh, romance! Oh, that's not for me. Um, but I got this really, really cool email um, a couple of years ago from a, this man. He wrote to me and he said, "If you could make you made this fifty-three-year-old ex-marine cry." Whoa! And I just that just floored me. I, that is awesome. It was totally awesome. Yeah, you know, he he loved my book so much. As fifty three year old, he said this. He said self described tough guy, ex marine, and you made your books made me cry. And I thought that is just awesome. The the only the, that I think that's the best email I've ever gotten. Um, that and one other. I got from a 16-year-old boy who just gushed about the books too. So that's when I knew that this that my writing could also appeal to men as well as women. That's got to be a good feeling. Well, I, I mean, give to this to you're... to the stepson. He yeah. he's going to complain because there's not enough dragons, but you know, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> nope, no dragons, not a one. Well, uh, Leslie, let's and... um uh. Well, let's talk about your organization. Yeah. Gloss. Gloss. Yes, please. Let me, I'm glad you asked me that. Let me tell you all about um, the Greater Los Angeles Writer Society. I'm the vice president. Um, Gloss has been in existence for probably about maybe four years now. Um, And Greater Los Angeles um, does encompass the Greater Los Angeles area. We have members as far north as Santa Barbara and as far south as, um, you know, southern San Diego County. Uh, we've, but mo- the bulk of our, our membership is um, west side of Los Angeles and, um, and the Valley. And we, we're also getting a nice little, um, a nice group in, in Orange County. 
Uh, and uh, it's we are writers, mentoring writers of all disciplines and all levels. So we have um, aspiring writers who have who have never written anything, but mm-hmm. they have this great idea, this great novel in their head, or they want to write a memoir, or they want to write a screenplay. We've got poets on. Um, and we've got all the way up to published, multi-published, award-winning writers. We have a man in our group who was a very well-known, prominent writer for Time magazine for many years. Um, we have, as I said, we've got screenwriters. We've got memoirists. Uh, we have about 600 active members, so we are the largest oh my goodness. and fastest-growing writers group in Southern California. Um, we, uh, we have, um, we take out booth space at all the major book shows, um, around town and also some out of town, um, where our published writers, uh, get a chance to sell their work. And occasionally at science fiction conventions, which is where I met you the first time. Yes, we go to science fiction conventions. It just so happens that, um, there's a very large contingent of science fiction, fantasy, horror writers. Um, we've got critique groups. We've got three active sci-fi fantasy horror critique groups. That's one of the benefits of being a member of our society. For any uh, listeners out there in the LA area who are looking for a good um, writers group, um, you just go to our website is www.glaws.org. Our meetings are free, open to the public, so anybody can come attend. Uh, And each month we have a different topic. Um, it might be on the business of writing. It might be on the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we get editors to come in and t- talk about how to edit your first draft. We have once a year we have a big agents panel where we get actual literary agents come in, talk about how to get a literary agent, and then afterwards um, members of the group um, get to pitch these agents. They will actually accept pitches from our membership. Hey. Which is, um, if you know anything about write, the writing world and the publishing world and, and trying to get an agent, getting a pitch, you know, getting getting to do a pitch in front of an agent without, you know, having to grovel and beg, that's pretty amazing. So That is pretty awesome. We, we do that for our membership. Um, we also, as I said, we have, um, uh, we do critique groups for our membership. Uh, but... Uh, there are our monthly meetings, which are held on the third Saturday of every month, unless there are four Saturdays, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's the fourth, unless there are five Saturdays, and then it's the fourth Saturday of the month. Those are all free, so anybody can come. You do not have to be a member to come to those meetings. And some people come just for those meetings, and you could learn a lot about publishing, writing, building a platform. We're all about helping authors build their platforms. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to use that social media. That's so important. It you're, seems you're... to be about, for most of the authors I've spoken with who uh, actually make any part of their living as writers, uh, understanding of the social media and how to how to work that and how to get your street crew together and, and oh, make yeah. all that happen is just about half the job. It's, it's, it's just... Wild. You've got to be. You've got to be really on top of this stuff. You've got to. You have to know how to work. To sell your books. You have to know how to work Facebook. You have to know how to work Twitter, um, LinkedIn, all of those different ones. We um, uh, uh, and that that kind of um, uh, touches on the whole um, e-publishing, e-books, mm-hmm. and electronic publishing. Um, to just to give a, a quick plug. Um, we are sponsoring a, um, a, a writer's conference. Um, it's going to be uh, the second weekend of October, not this weekend, but um, not this weekend, but the next weekend um, of this month. It's called the Digital Author, and um, it's it's a conference. So you know, there's a, there's fees involved. Okay, um, so now we've got oh, now we've got something that's time sensitive. So we have to push your show up to the front of the queue. <laughs> well, well, it's also highly regional, so I'm not yeah, sure it's, it's really it going to be germane. Well, but, uh, but it gives yeah. it a good example of what they do. And you can you can become a paid member of the organization. You I can it. become yes, you can you can uh, um, we join them uh, once you join Gloss, then uh, you do get those benefits of membership. That's the you get access to critique groups, mm-hmm. workshops. 
Um, you can uh, put up a, a author profile on our website. Mm -hmm. uh, you get discounts on all the uh, conferences, and you get selling space at the biggest book shows. Oh, the that biggest is so book important. show. On um, on the West Coast is the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yes. have, yeah, we've got a big booth there. And we send reporters to that show every year. And it is extremely expensive to take out a booth on your own. Oh, and yes. so we take out a booth. It's like a, it's like a collective. We take mm -hmm. out a booth and then everybody pitches in and uh, spreads the cost uh, amongst all the authors. And um, everybody gets, uh, you know, X amount of selling time. And um, we will have 30 authors there throughout the weekend. And that's a chance to get your book in front of, what, 120,000 people? Oh, yes. That's a lot of eyeballs. It that's is. a lot of eyeballs. Yeah. It's, it's, it, the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society seems to provide a much needed, a desperately needed service to writers of all kinds. And it serves as an inspiration to uh, writers in other parts of the world. And it it is really um, if it weren't I have to, I can I can safely say this with all honesty that if it weren't for the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society I don't think I'd be as far along perhaps in terms of of my like getting my name out there because mm -hmm. I learned a lot um, about marketing myself because my publishers I've been with small presses. And um, small presses don't generally have a lot of a big marketing budget. And so you have to get out there and really push your own, you know, push your own books. As I understand it, uh, even the larger publishers uh, don't have the kind of money for for uh, helping you promote your books. Well, unless you're already a big star. I used to say unless you're Tom F. and Clancy. And I can't yeah. use that joke anymore. <laughs> alas. <laughs> yeah, alas, he's just passed on. He passed away, yeah. yeah. But, um, but, yes, but unless you're a big star, they're not going to invest a lot of money in you. They're not. You you really have to know how to do it yourself. And um, and so I learned a lot through just being part of the group. And even if I if I hadn't learned a thing, I met my fiancé through the Greater <laughs> <laughs> Society. There's a and, plus there. Yes, he's he's also a member. And, um, you know, so I, I always I, – I met the, the – the, my true love, my soulmate through through Gloss. So even it didn't do anything else for me. <laughs> I met the man that I'm going to marry. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And Joy he's, he's, always. He's a wonderful writer himself. His name is Aaron Mason. And um, he's uh, he's mostly in the um, in the screenwriting world. Mm -hmm. um, he's got some some projects, some screenwriting mm -hmm. projects that are in development. Um, but he's also working on a novel too. So, and he's he wrote an award-winning um, children's book called the the Baffle Gagging Blunder Nagging Brothers. And, it's, <laughs> and uh, we were just at the Orange County Children's Book Festival last weekend uh -huh. um, selling this book because it's a really funny kids book. But it's also available on Amazon. His name is Aaron Mason. And if you any um, listeners out there who have kids, funny uh, it's a really funny book um, about from age eight. Uh, on up um, it's a fantasy story about two bumbling brothers who are on a quest to make the the world round again because when they were disobedient naughty children they flattened it <laughs> I hate when that happens so they have to make it round again so that's their, their quest Leslie Ann Moore author of the upcoming Tangle of Fates a, a tangle of fate. A tangle of fate. Putting out, put out by Muse Harbor Publishing. Ah, excellent. Muse. So that's Muse going to be in paperback as well as the it, electronic it will be. format. Yes, it will be in um, ebook, e form, and um, I'm assuming probably trade paperback. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, Thank you for joining us on the Event Horizon. It has been, we have been waiting to get you on the show, mostly because our schedule's been so jammed, and I apologize <laughs> for that. But, uh, but our friend uh, S.P. Hendrick has been honest about this, and I'm, yes. and I'm so glad we have made your acquaintance. We will well, have to hang so out. I, and thank you so much. I had a great time. It was, it's, it's been a blast. We'd like to invite you back for future shows as well. Yeah, oh, please. When well, Tangle of Fates comes out, we'll talk about that too. Yeah, we'll talk about. We'll bring you back. 
when oh, the book I'd comes out. Oh, I'd love to come back. Yes, I would absolutely love that. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us this evening. Oh, and thank you. And uh, now you can, uh, there is a, uh, we have a tradition. Uh, our guest pushes the button that ends the, the show. It's time to push the button. Okay. I'm pushing the button now. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Goodbye. You have just heard episode 33 of the Krypton Radio original series, The Event Horizon, for October 12th, 2013. Our guest has been Leslie Ann Moore, author of the Griffin's Daughter Trilogy and A Tangle of Fates, book one of the Vox Machina Trilogy. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and Executive Producer Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, October 13th, 2013 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schermeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer, Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer, Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>